Okay, right. I think I'm ready to make a start. So, uh, morning everybody. If you don't know me, my name is Joe. Uh, I'm married to Anna, who is sitting over here. We've been coming to this church for about six years. I moved here in September 2010. When I moved here, the church consisted of Stuart, Melanie, Levi and myself. So that was church when I moved here and now church looks like this. So it's, uh, it's a great privilege to, to be part of that growth and to have seen that growth uh, happen. If you know anything about myself and my wife, you'll know that we absolutely love Christmas. We absolutely love it. So it's a, it's a real privilege to be talking this morning in the second part of our series on All I Want for Christmas. No, I'm not going to break out into any Mariah Carey. Uh, we'll save that for next week. So, right, so last week Matt started us off. Matt started us off last week with talking about the birth of Jesus. So he was talking about uh, the birth of Jesus as a gift that God gave to us and how Jesus was fully man and fully God. God gave us this gift of, of Jesus as a man who was also fully God. I don't know about you, but I absolutely love at Christmas giving and receiving gifts. Absolutely love it. Um, I love this idea of the gift of Jesus' birth uh, as, a, as a gift that God gave us. I love the story of the nativity. Uh, the first time, the very first time I ever spoke from the Bible to young people, uh, this was at a previous church probably about, probably about 10 years ago. The very first time I ever taught from the Bible, the verse that was given me to teach from was the story of the shepherds and the angels and when the birth of Jesus was announced uh, in the book of Luke. Um, and it goes something like this. It says, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And I just, I just absolutely fell in love with that passage. Um, I just thought it was absolutely amazing. I, I could go on and read more of it, but I absolutely love it. And it really uh, struck with me, this idea of the gift God gave us of Jesus' birth. Um, and that got me thinking. So I thought today I'd have a little look at some of the gifts I have given and some of the gifts that I have received so, I need your Pandora bracelet. So, this is my wife's Pandora bracelet. If we could have the first slide. There it is, up there. Uh, so, guys, if you don't have one of these, they are absolutely essential. Essential present for your wife. There's a shop in Sutton Coldfield. Every occasion, every birthday, Christmas, whatever it is, you can always get a Pandora charm. So, this is, I don't really want to dangle this because I think it's going to come apart. But that's the actual thing. You can see it up there. So just to explain some of the things going on here, we've got a happy birthday there. We've got a little reindeer that was given at Christmas time. Uh, the cruise ship there, that was our first wedding anniversary when we were actually on a cruise at the time. So nice little cruise ship there. Uh, you've got the, the, the hearts there, that was Valentine's Day. And the little rubber duck, just because we like rubber ducks. Uh, so... That's, that's my wife's Pandora bracelet. So I asked Anna, I asked Anna, what do you like? What do you really like about this bracelet? And she said, she said, it's beautiful. She said she loves to talk about it. And she said people love to hear about it. And they love to hear all the different stories, all the little stories associated with the different things on there. And that reminded me a little bit of the birth of Christ. Because people want to talk about it. 
People want to hear about it. And they love all the little stories associated with the birth of Christ. They love the story of the shepherds and the angels and the virgin birth. And at Christmas, we've got the opportunity to share that story. What about, what about the presents we don't really talk about that much? For me, probably money. I don't really, don't really rave about it. If I've get, given a gift of money, you know, I've been massively blessed by money, but I don't really talk about it. It's not so easy to talk about. And that reminded me a little bit of the death of Jesus. This time of year, it's not, it's not quite so easy to talk about. Maybe a little bit uncomfortable. It's easier this time of year to talk about the angels, the shepherds, and the birth of Christ rather than blood, sin, death, and the murdered Christ, to be honest. Let's be honest about it. But talk about it we must because it's so significant and so important to us. It's of massive significance and importance. By far the best present I think anybody could be given. So I make no apologies for the title of the preach today, and that is all I want for Christmas is his death. It's gone quite quiet in here. Uh, So for Christians, if you're a Christian in the room today, uh, I just hope this is a, a real reminder of the wonderful truths of the death and resurrection of Christ. If you're not a Christian, if I'm completely honest, my my hope and prayer for you this morning is that you would give your life to Christ today. Uh, If you're not in that place, then I hope that by the end of this preach, you will just know Jesus that little bit better. So all I want for Christmas is his death. Right, so I'm going to start with, this is a present that I was given a couple of, a few years ago. This is a Christmas onesie. Some of you... Some of you may have seen me in this onesie before. I'm looking around for faces because this has been worn at a small group uh, meeting before. So that's my Christmas onesie. Who would give me that onesie and why? Why would I be given a Christmas onesie? Well, you're about to find out. So next picture. This is who gave me my Christmas onesie. This is me in my Christmas onesie. Uh, that's my, he was my best man at my wedding. Some of you may know him. His name is Matt. And the thing about Matt, you'll know, you'll know if you know him, you'll know that his nature matches the nature of the gift. He's a bit of a laugh, he's a little bit ridiculous, and he's a little bit cheap because the ones he cost him £2.99 from Primark. <laughs> that explains the gift. It's, it's funny, it's ridiculous, and it was cheap. <laughs> if you know who gave me the onesie, it gives meaning and significance to the gift. If you know who gave us the gift of Jesus' death, then that gives significance and meaning to the gift. So I want to spend a few minutes just talking about our awesome God who who gave us this gift. Who gave us this gift? Because when we look to him and we see him and we see how awesome he is, then that gives significance and meaning to what the gift is. So who gave us the gift? Who gave us the gift of Jesus' death? God gave us this gift. God the, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And what blows me away, I was trying to think, what really, really blows me away about God? And I started thinking, well, together, this Trinity God created the whole universe. And that's what really, really blows me away, is that God spoke and the universe came into existence. God is eternal, he is indescribable, he is uncontainable, he's absolutely mind-blowing. And 
I find this myself when I'm when I go running. I go running in uh, Newhall, uh, Newhall Valley, Newhall Park, and I just love engaging with the creation because when I go running, I see the see the creation around me. And I think a few weeks ago, I came back and I said to Anna when I got back, I said I just had to sit down and I was literally awestruck, almost. I was blown away by the creation around me, and. I started thinking about, this is probably the science teacher in me, I started thinking about atoms and all the millions of atoms that make up a cell and the millions of cells that make up a leaf and the leaves that make up a tree and a rainforest and a continent and the world and the solar system and the universe and it just utterly blew my mind that that is all sustained by him, all held together, all interacting, all held together all at one time. It's utterly, utterly mind-blowing. How is it all sustained? The Bible says it's sustained by his son, Jesus. He sustains all things by his powerful word. It says that in Hebrews. This is the gift giver. This is the the Trinity God who gave us the gift of Jesus' death. Matt Squirrel, he's a funny funny guy who gave... I nearly said funny gay there. Funny guy who gave me a funny gift. God is too awesome to comprehend and he gave us a gift that is too awesome to to comprehend. So, we've got this Trinity God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Existed before before they even, or he even created the universe. And the Trinity existed in this perfect relationship, perfect relationship before the world was created. Honouring each other, serving each other, being with each other before they even made uh, the universe. And when, when God, this Trinity God, did come to create the universe, it says in the Bible, the pinnacle of his creation was man. And he made man in his own image, that man would think like him and feel like him and love like him. Man was made in, in God's image, with this, and man had this perfect relationship with God in the beginning. You read it in the book of Genesis. And when God first made man, he gave, God some wonderful, uh, he gave man some wonderful gifts. Man was to rule over creation. God gave man, Adam, when he created him, the gift of a woman. God is a, God is a good God. In fact, in the beginning, it was paradise. It was like heaven. There was this unbroken, perfect relationship that, that man had with God. And man enjoyed all these wonderful gifts. But what man did was turn... He's back on God. He said, I don't want to do things your way, God. I want to do things my way. And that was the first sin when, when sin came into the world, that point where, where man's relationship with God was, was shattered. We call it, the fall, call it the fall of man. And at that point, the whole world changed. The whole world changed. Sin came into the world. The whole creation was, was broken. And that was a problem. Man's relationship with God broken. So hold that thought for a minute. We're going to have a little break there and we're going to move on to the raffle. So there should be some pictures coming up. The first prize, a Terry's chocolate orange. This is a gift that my wife loves to have. Terry's chocolate orange. Here it is. So one lucky winner is going to win this Terry's chocolate orange. So we have the tickets here. So if you'd like to draw a ticket... Right, 22. Who's got ticket number 22? 
Stuart, this is definitely a fix. Definitely a fix. Right, so Stuart gets the, Stuart gets the chocolate orange. Um, so, second prize is Maltesers. This is box Maltesers. I absolutely love getting Maltesers every year for Christmas. So, let's draw another ticket. It is number 75. Number 75. It's Charlie. Oh, okay. Catherine. Right, okay. So she gets the Maltesers. And we'll do one more. This is a kilogram pouch of peanut M&Ms. A whole kilogram of peanut M&Ms. So, next ticket. Sixty-six. <laughs> so the whole Crane family have totally rigged this morning. Okay, I'm, I'm going to move on from that. Uh, Okay, so there's a reason that I chose those three particular gifts. There's a reason behind it. I promise, I've promised my wife that I'm going to get her Terry's Chocolate Orange every year. Every year in her stocking, she's going to get that Terry's Chocolate Orange. She's promised me that she's going to get me these every single year, every Christmas. absolutely love them. She's made me that promise. I've also been promised this year that I am going to get the kilogram pouch of peanut M&M's. That's a promise that's been made. I got promised in school, a pupil who I helped out with their GCSEs promised me a bottle of whiskey. Never materialised. Never materialised. So that's a promise that didn't really happen. God made a promise. God made a promise. When Adam first sinned, when we had that, the fall of man, God promised a solution. Straight away, you can read it in the book of Genesis, God straight away promises a solution, the first indication of what was going to happen. God doesn't talk about the birth of Jesus. He actually promises straight away the death of Jesus. This is what God says to Satan in Genesis after the fall of man. He says, says this to Satan. He says, Cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So, he will crush your head. The offspring of women, i.e. Jesus, is going to come and he's going to crush Satan and defeat Satan. But you will strike his heel. Satan's going to strike Jesus' heel, i.e. Jesus is going to taste death in a blow from the enemy. God promised it. In fact, we see the promise all through the Old Testament. All through the Old Testament, we see this promise of what's going to happen. John High last week came up and read something from Isaiah, which was written 700 years before this all happened. It said he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. That's a promise of, of the cross. It's a, the promise of Jesus' death. 
the whole, whole of the Old Testament points to it. So we see throughout the Old Testament, Saviour is coming, Saviour is coming, Saviour is coming. So some examples of that. You've got Abraham when he goes up the, uh, goes up the mountain to sacrifice Isaac. And Isaac is carrying the wood on his back that's going to be used in his own sacrifice. That points to, points to Jesus when he would walk up the mountain and carry the wood on his back that's going to be used in his sacrifice, the cross. The blood sacrifices in the Old Testament that the Israelites had to make again and again and again pointed to the one true sacrifice that Christ was going to make on the cross. Even in Jesus' birth, you've got the gifts, you've got the gold, the frankincense, the myrrh. Myrrh was a foretelling of Jesus' death. Myrrh was used in embalming dead bodies. It represented bitterness, suffering, and affliction. So even in Jesus' birth, there was this pointer to Jesus' death. So the gift of Jesus' death was the fulfillment of a promise. Right, last slide. This is a gift that my sister got me. So this is the bottle of whiskey itself that she got me for Christmas, I think, last year? I think, yeah. Well, I didn't get it to Easter because of, well, I just didn't. But, um, but anyway, that was a Christmas present. We only discovered it. Um, about three weeks ago, I was like, oh, I really fancy whiskey because I, hard, I hardly ever drink whiskey. Every now and again, I have one. And, and Anna said, Anna said, uh, oh, you got that, that whiskey from your sister. So I was like, okay. Um, and, and this was it. So brilliant present, absolutely brilliant present. It says, the best whiskey in the world. So um, I definitely recommend it. Anna didn't like it so much. Uh, but there we go. I wonder if you've ever had a really... Uh, a really useless gift, a really useless gift. When I was probably seven, up until the age of maybe 15, every Christmas I got hankies from my, from my aunt. Obviously, I can see the benefit of hankies now. When I was seven, I just thought, absolutely useless. Lego, yes. Hankies, no. Didn't really want hankies for Christmas. The great thing about the whiskey is it served a purpose served a purpose because I like whiskey. So my sister's obviously thought it through. Whiskey serves a purpose. Joe likes whiskey. The gift that God promised us, the gift of Jesus' death, served a purpose. It served a purpose. Why did God promise us this gift straight after that, that fall of man? Because it had a purpose. It had a reason. And the reason for that gift, the gift of Jesus' death, was to save us from our sin. To save us from our sin. To provide the solution to that fall of man, that broken relationship that man had with God. The gift of Jesus' death was going to provide the solution to it. That's the whole point of the Christmas story, that Jesus would be born, he would grow up, he would go to the cross, he would die, and he would save us from our sins. It even says it in Matthew, in in Matthew's account of the birth of Christ. It says this, uh, and this is the angel Gabriel talking to, to Joseph, and it says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. It was the solution to the problem of sin. So, how did this save us from our sins? Why did Jesus have to die? Why was death the solution? Why was it? In Romans, it says that the wages for sin is death. Death and judgment is the correct penalty for sin against a perfect, 
holy God. It's not right that sin would go unpunished. We deserve death and judgment for our sin. But the gift of Jesus' death had a purpose to save us from this. John 3 verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. I don't know if you've ever really poorly planned something. One year I did my Christmas shopping on uh, Christmas Eve. It wasn't so well planned. I couldn't find anything I wanted. It didn't go so well for me. It was a rubbish plan. The whiskey was well planned. Whiskey was well planned. God had a plan. God had a plan. The gift of Jesus' death was well planned. It was planned before time even began. Because we would do this death for our sin. What God planned was the, he would sacrifice something else in our place. He would sacrifice something else in our place to atone for our sin. That's why in the Old Testament the Israelites had to make these blood sacrifices of animals. Year upon year upon year. They had to keep doing it because they had to do it in, in our place. The bloodshed we deserve, they had to sacrifice animals in our place. To do this, they, well, God asked for the best, the best animals, the, the spotless, perfect animals without blemish. But actually, animals weren't enough. They weren't enough to atone for our sin. They weren't enough. They merely pointed to what was coming, what was truly coming. For if sin was a human problem that man had created, then there had to be a human solution. It had to be a human sacrifice. And if there was going to be a human sacrifice for sin, it would have to be perfect, spotless, without blemish, sinless. The problem was that no man could ever claim to be that. No man could ever claim to be perfect, spotless, sinless, except for one. Jesus Christ, he lived the perfect life, the perfect sinless life, so that he would be the absolute sacrifice and he would die in our place for our sin and atone for the sins of the world forever. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus came on a rescue mission to stop us from perishing, to give us eternal life. And that could only be achieved by his death and resurrection. And that if we accept him as our saviour, then we're forgiven. And we're brought back into that relationship that was broken at the fall. We're brought back into that relationship with God. So, going to have a quick break for the last present, which is a little bottle of Scotch whiskey in here. So, this is, this is the best present, I think, personally. So, next ticket. Is it going to be a member of the Crane family? It's Mel. No, it's not really. <laughs> Uh, 69, 69. Who's got 69? Ted. Ted has number 69. So Ted is now my new best friend. Okay, so what was the, what was my sister's motivation for buying me that bottle of whiskey? What was her motivation? What's her reason behind it? Was it just because she felt she had to? Because it was Christmas time. 
yeah, I need to get my brother a present. Probably, it probably was, to be honest. I'd like to think there was a little bit of love involved there. I'd like to think that was, that was the reason, that was the motivation behind it. What was the motivation for God giving us the gift of Jesus' death? It was love. It was love, love, love. The greatest act of love the world has ever seen. That was his motivation because God loves us. God loves us. He wants a relationship with us. He's a real, living, feeling entity who enjoyed this relationship with us before the fall of man. And he wants to restore us to that relationship. He wants to love us and for us to love him. And the gifts that we give are an expression of the love we have for each other when we're in relationship with each other. The gift of Jesus' death was the ultimate expression of God's love for us because of the relationship he wants with us. And he went to extreme lengths to have that relationship back with us. He went to extreme lengths to have that relationship back with us. That's the love. That's the love he showed. I sometimes think I'm the worst person at, at loving other people. I look at other people, inspiration, inspirational people in my life, and I think, yeah, they're, they're, they're such a loving person, such a loving person. I think I'm pretty, pretty rubbish at, at that sort of thing. I, I thought I'd Google it. thought I'd Google it. I'd look for a list of the world's most loving people. Uh, this, I think it was American. Oprah Winfrey came up as number one. Oprah Winfrey, the most loving person in the world. I was personally looking for maybe like Mother Teresa, but no, Oprah Winfrey, number one, apparently. Other names in there, Martin Luther King, Nelson Mandela. But for me, Mother Teresa would be a good example of someone who has shown love, basically. She's pretty loving, right? She gave her whole life. She gave her life. She had no money, no home. She lived on the streets uh, to help poor people and, and teach young women. Because love looks like something. Love looks like doing something. And she loved people, and she did something about it. But no act of love has ever come close to Jesus' expression of love for us in when he went to the cross. He loved people, and he did something about it. Because love looks like something. Love looks like something. When my sister got me the bottle of whiskey, me and Anna did something a little bit naughty, which I'm going to confess to, we, we Googled this bottle, we Googled it to find out how much it cost. So how much did my sister spend on me? I haven't ever done this before and I won't ever do it again. But I thought, I'm just going to find out, cost, how much do we reckon? Someone put the hand up, tell me, how much do we reckon this cost? It was 50, 50 quid, 50 quid. I was like, whew, 50 quid for that, thanks sis. That is the... Uh, that's the benefit of having a London-based actuary as a sister. 50 quid bottle of whiskey at Christmas time. There was a cost to it. That gift, there was a cost. There was some element, some element of sacrifice involved there. Gift of Jesus' death had a cost. It had a cost. It cost God his own son, giving his own son. That was the cost to him. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, the cost to Jesus was the most agonizing, brutal, horrific death ever devised. Ever devised. Horrific. The gift of Jesus' death had a cost. Was that my phone?
And you know what? The cost, the cost wasn't just, it wasn't just Jesus' death. It was his whole life. He gave his whole life. Because if he was going to be this perfect sacrifice for our sin, he had to live a life without sin. He had to live a life without sin. He modelled what it was like to lead a perfect life without sin. He never sinned. He didn't just not sin because he was God. He was God. But he didn't just not sin because he was God. If he had to be a human sacrifice, like Matt said last week, he was fully man and fully God. He was fully man and he led a life empowered by the Holy Spirit to help him not sin. Thus modelling what, what we should live like. Empowered by the Spirit to help us to not sin. It says in Hebrews, he was tempted in every way. Tempted in every way possible. The temptation that Jesus must have faced when he lived his life must have been absolutely unbearable at times. He would have been subject to the highest levels of temptation possible. That's what Stuart said preaching from Hebrews a few weeks ago. He was tempted in more ways than any of us have ever faced. He would have faced massive, massive temptation in his life. Do you think that was easy? Do you think that was easy for him? He never knew the the comfort of a woman. Was he tempted to do so? Yeah, he was. It says he was tempted in every way, just as we are. So he would have been tempted to do that. I imagine that would have got unbearable sometimes. Satan tempted him with all the kingdoms of the earth. The biggest temptation possible. And yet he resisted. I don't know if you've ever been in that place where you're really, really trying hard to not give in to sin. And the, that, that, that feeling of, oh, I just don't want to give in to this sin. The temptation, it can be really hard sometimes. And Jesus, it, Jesus would have faced that in his life. He would have been doing it on a daily basis. Daily basis, sacrificial life. And he did it for us. Did it for us. Every time, every time. He would have just been, ah, oh, I can't do this. And he would have been thinking of us and thinking about us. He went to some extreme lengths and it was because he loved us. Went to extreme lengths and it's because he loved us. His family often thought he was mad. I bet it was pretty lonely for him sometimes being single. You can imagine what that's like. Probably really, really lonely sometimes. And they were probably the biggest times of temptation for him. When he was alone, he had no money, he had no home when he carried out his ministry. He knows what it's like. And he did it all for us. He did it all for us because he loves us. Because love looks like something. The gift of Jesus' death was motivated by love. And that love, towards the end of Jesus' life, it took him to the cross. Took him to the cross. Love motivated Jesus to face the most horrific form of murder ever devised. Jesus was whipped, beaten, spat upon, horrifically murdered. If you remember the story when he's in the garden of Gethsemane and he's sweating blood because he knows, because of the intensity of the feelings of what he's about to go through. Many things are written about crucifixion. I I googled some ideas to to find out and I'm not going to go into much detail. I read things about the arms actually breaking and dying of asphyxiation. But what I was most moved by actually, were the verses in Isaiah, those verses 700 years prior to the birth of Christ that actually foretell what Jesus is going to go through in his death. And I'm just going to read them out because I think when I was preparing, it actually moved me to tears reading, reading some of this stuff. It says, I offered my back to those who beat me, 
my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. There were many who were appalled at him. His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man and his form marred beyond human likeness. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. He was cut off from the land of the living. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. He was motivated by love. That's the love, because love looks like something. As if the physical torture that Christ went through on the cross wasn't enough, there was a spiritual significance to the cross in that Jesus underwent the spiritual torture of having the sins of the world put on his shoulders. It says he became sin for us. Every murder, every rape, any sin you can think of, it was all laid on him by the Father. Jesus didn't know what it was to sin. He experienced sin in a different way in that the punishment for it was all put on him. And for the first time at the cross since before creation, the perfect relationship that he'd enjoyed with his father was broken because the father had to turn his face away in disgust when Jesus became sin for us. He did it because he loves us. Love looks like something. Jesus didn't have to go to the cross. He didn't have to do it. He chose to do it. He chose to do it because he loves us. Jesus turns logic on its head. Jesus turns logic on its head. It's like that story um, where Jesus said, if someone takes your tunic, give them your coat as well. We, We took Jesus' life away. We took Jesus' life from him. And he gives us life in return. He turns logic on its head. This was a massive, massive personal, physical and spiritual cost to Jesus, what he had to do. He chose to lead that sinless life and go through that horrific death. He didn't have to. And if you were the only person in existence, he still would have done that for you. How can people say, why can a loving God send people to hell? A loving God stepped off his throne and came to earth and dealt with that problem for us so we don't have to face it. At massive personal cost to himself, his whole life, his brutal death, so we don't have to face it, and he didn't even have to do it. He chose to do it. Because he loves us. Jesus went to the grave, he suffered death. But death was the punishment sin but Jesus had never sinned so death had no hold over him death had no hold over him he blew death apart 
from the inside. Death was defeated so that if we accept Jesus into our lives, we share in his victory over death. We're given life instead. We're given life in abundance and life eternal. We don't have to face the punishment. We don't have to face anything because somebody has already faced it for us. We go completely free. It's a free gift. It's a good gift. There is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. I love whiskey. There's a longevity to that whiskey because I keep drinking from it. I keep going back to it, keep drinking. That's probably going to last me about five years, that one. I've got a bottle of Talisca at home that I think, I li- I think I've had it for about seven years and it's about halfway through. I'm going to keep going back to that whiskey, keep drinking from it. Eventually, it's going to run out. But the gift of Jesus' death has a longevity to it in that the blessings we receive when we share in his victory over death keep on coming. They keep on coming. Unlike the whiskey, they're not going to run out. They're going to keep on coming, and they keep on coming for eternity. You may have heard the cross sometimes referred to as the great exchange. He exchanged all of our sin for all of his righteousness. He didn't just say, right, I'm going to take your sin, bin it, that's it, on your way. He said, I'm going to take your sin, bin it, give you my righteousness, and off you go with that. He gave us his righteousness. He gave us a brand new identity, a brand new heart, brand new life in him. The Bible says that in accepting the gift of Jesus' death, our sinful self was crucified with Christ, buried with Christ, And we are raised to new life in Christ and seated in heavenly places with Christ. The Bible doesn't really use the term much, being a Christian. It says we are in Christ. Your first birth was in Adam. Your second birth, when you are born again, is in Christ. You're in Christ and he's in us. We have his identity before the Father given to us by him. We share in all his blessings. I am holy and blameless, it says in Colossians. We are saints. We are royalty. We are new creations. I am a co-heir with Christ. I can do everything in Christ who strengthens me. Everything that God gives to us, sorry, everything that God gives to Christ is mine too. He empowers us by his spirit. He gives us freedom from sin. He gives us freedom in other areas of our lives. He gives us a loving relationship with the Father who provides for us, who we can trust him, and who never lets us down. There is a longevity to the blessings we get. They just keep coming and coming and coming. And I didn't want that to be a load of theological waffle, basically. I wanted to actually you know, mean something. So I can only really give examples from my life of how that has played out, how I've had that abundant life that Jesus has promised when I've shared in his victory over death. So I'm seated in heavenly places. I'm seated in heavenly places. Christ prayed for the sick. I pray for the sick. And I've seen people healed when I prayed for the sick because there's no sickness in heaven. No sickness in heaven. And I'm seated in heavenly places. I hear God's voice. It's a voice from heaven. We, we all have access to that when we read the Bible. Hearing God's voice. All Christians have access to that. And I feel like this morning, we prayed at the prayer meeting uh, on Tuesday night or Wednesday night, whenever it was, there was some stuff brought about an open heaven. And I feel like God wants to release some people this morning into gifts of of evangelism, of the prophetic, 
of healing. He wants to release those gifts as a blessing to people that they may be a blessing to others. He gave the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. I'm full of the Holy Spirit, and I feel like God wants to just fill us afresh this morning with the Holy Spirit. Jesus resisted sin. I can resist sin. Jesus extended the kingdom of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. His ministry was to bring sinners to repentance, extending the kingdom, loving people, and seeing sinners come to repentance. And we are all called into that when we're Christians. We're all called to be part of the church, filled by the Spirit, carrying on his mission of extending his kingdom, him using us to bless others and love others and see the kingdom of God extended and see sinners come to repentance. We're all called to be part of that mission. I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. He's given me freedom from a fear of public speaking. I couldn't do it. Years ago, I couldn't do it. Now I can do it. I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. And we all have access to that. We all have access to a relationship with our Father in heaven that is intimate. That's just a few of the blessings. That's just a few of the blessings that, that I have received. But the truth is, we get as we live our lives as a Christian, we get blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing. And that's just in this life. That's just this life. God gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So it goes on and on and on for eternity. Eternity doesn't end. It goes on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. This life will seem like a bad dream when we get to eternity. There's no sickness, no pain, no death, no suffering, just eternal joy and happiness forever. And it's free. It's a free gift. We don't have to do anything to get it because it's already been done for us by Jesus. It's a free gift. Who would not want to share in that gift? When my sister gave me that bottle of whiskey, I had to accept it. I had to accept it. There was a response to be made by me. I didn't say, no, thank you. I said, yes, please. God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You have to believe in him in order to not perish and have eternal life. And to believe in him, it means you need to make a response in your heart. You need to make a response to the love that he has showed us. And I want to encourage you this morning, if God is stirring your heart to make that response, we're going to have a time later in the the worship time, Uh, where you will be encouraged to make that response if that is right for you at this time. To not say, no, thank you, but to say, yes, please. And that is saying, I know I'm a sinner. Thank you for taking my sin away. I accept your forgiveness. I accept you as my saviour, and I accept you into my life. I accept the gift of Jesus' death and receive the gift of Jesus' life. I'm going to draw things to a close there. We're going to spend some time worshipping him. So if the band would like to come up, I'm going to ask us that we stand. Uh, 
And what I'd like us to do is just shut our eyes and just come before him and just fix our thoughts on him, fix our thoughts on what he's done for us. Yeah, Lord Jesus, we, we thank you. We thank you for what you have done for us. We thank you for your life, your sacrificial life, your, your horrific death. We thank you that you destroyed death, that you broke open from the grave and you raised us to new life in you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for that, Lord. I had a, um, I had a dream a few, uh, a few weeks ago. I, I was saying to Anna, I had this dream and I actually met, I actually met the Trinity in the dream. I, I met Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And in this dream, I literally just got down on my face before Jesus. I was talking to Jesus and I got down on my face on the floor. And that was it. That, that was the dream. That seemed like the appropriate response to just get down on the floor in front of Jesus. I don't necessarily expect people to do that this morning, although you're welcome to. But let's lift our voices. Let's lift our voices Let's lift our hands and let's praise him and worship him. Give him the glory for what he has done for us.